Come on, clap if you think God's good. There you go. I thought 11 o'clock turned into 9.30 there for a second. There's my rowdies. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, 11 o'clock. We're so glad that you're joining us to worship. Uh, man, we believe God has got something for you today as we jump into his word, which we will do in a second. But how nice was that surprise last week with Don Baker preaching a just knockout message. I love him. I was so encouraged. I listened to it this week and just smiled through the whole thing. Not because it wasn't convicting at all, just because it was so good to just listen to that message. So thank you, Don. And, um, and uh, the countdown clock is ticking. Don doesn't care about that, but I do. I'm just kidding. So uh, we're going to jump into a message here in a minute in our series. It's kind of a continuation of the last message I preached here two weeks ago. Um, so we're calling it Part B. Is that a good title or what? <laughs> Would you uh, pray with me and then we'll just jump right into it. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. And we come here from all different kinds of circumstances. Some of us have had great weeks, others not so much. Um, what we admit together this morning, I hope, is that we need you. We don't need me. We don't need more of us. We just need you to cut through the distraction, the busyness, the chaos of our lives. We need you to peel back the layers of our hearts, to maybe even expose our hearts to you. We need you to do what you have intended to do in our lives. And we say we're willing this morning to let you do your thing. Um, even if it's uncomfortable or difficult, we're willing to let you do your thing in our in our lives. And we thank you for being a God who loves us unconditionally. No matter what life has looked like, your love for us is unfailing. It never changes. It's perfect because you are perfect. So we just rest in that. Help us to, to see you and hear your words through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. It's a nice little... I need Scott to follow me around and do that at my house. I feel like, <laughs> feel like my kids would listen to me more. <laughs> no, you can't have Xbox. <laughs> I mean it. It's serious. Um, we're, we're in a welcome to part B. <laughs> or you could call this living right, whatever's more comfortable for you. My guess is that nobody likes to hear a message about living right because it's convicting. <laughs> because there's some things in a message about living right that can be a little heavy. It's a little too close to the chest. We're stepping on a little too, too close to our toes, right? So we'll just call it part B if that makes you feel better. But really this message is a continuance of a message that I preached two weeks ago called Living Light. And I don't know if you remember that message, but it was all about how happiness ex experienced through a right relationship with God. It was all about how to experience his forgiveness through faith, that we are saved by faith through grace, and that ultimate happiness comes from the freedom that God gives you when you are found in him. It comes from a right relationship with him. So that was what we talked about two weeks ago. This is part B of that. It's kind of like we're going to wade into some areas about what scripture says about how we should live. Now that's, nobody likes being told <laughs> how they should live, right? Like you could try to tell me how I should live and I'll be like, whoa, 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 step off me for a second. <laughs> But it's really important. 
And if we're really gonna figure out how to experience the happiness, the blessing that God has for us, then we can't just talk about kind of like the big kind of concepts of Christianity and the beauty of that in our faith through Christ. We also have to get into the nitty-gritty of, I love that nitty-gritty. You don't hear that often. The nitty-gritty of how God shows us we should live. And so this talk is a little heavy, and it's also a little bit of a big deal, one that we tend to avoid in our own lives. So buckle up and flip your Bibles to Psalm 106. I'm going to read to you the first um, five verses, but we're going to focus on one this morning. And then the plan is to focus on one and then pull some biblical truths out of Scripture. And I got seven really practical things that will help you experience more of the happiness God has for you by how you live. You ready? This feels heavy. I feel like I'm gonna step on my own toes and trip off the stage on this one. I'm not even worried about stepping on your toes because 11 o'clock knows how to hang. Hopefully I just bought enough time for you to flip your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we give Bibles out every week. We'd love to give you a Bible. Steal one from us, take one from us, do whatever you gotta do. Just don't take your neighbor's. You can lean over as long as you got a breath mint and look at it, but don't take it. Ready? Psalm 106. We, we, there's a lot of scripture in this message, so that's good. But if you're really digging in, you might want to grab a pen so that you can, it's going to be hard to follow, I think, all the scriptures so you can write them down and look at them later. It says this in Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever. Isn't that good? His love endures forever. That's so good. His love endures when you screw it all up. His love endures when you lose your temper at your spouse. His love endures when you whip the finger to somebody in the car <laughs> driving home from church. Don't do that. <laughs> Especially if you have a sticker, the G sticker on the <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> God loves you, but I don't. His love endures forever. I'm so thankful that God is faithful even when I'm not. Number, verse two, who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. I hate when preachers read something and repeat it right away. They're always like, oh, that's so good. I'm going to repeat it right away. I'm not, I'm not repeating this because it's so good. I'm repeating this because it's so heavy. Blessed are those who act justly, who always do what is right. That's the key verse for this morning. But let me just read down to verse 5. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people, Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation and join your inheritance in giving praise. The rest of the psalm is a confession on behalf of the nation of Israel. It's some heavy stuff. Laying out all of the mistakes 
all of the ways they turn their back on God and towards other gods. It's a confession on behalf of the nation of Israel by the psalmist, remembering what they had done and how they had walked away from God and then eventually um, asking God to save them again and renew them. It's a powerful verse, that one right there, the kind of key that puts this all in. Blessed are those who act justly and who always do what's right. All right, part B, here we go. You ever waste energy on stuff and then think that was a waste of energy? You ever do that? Like I'm always like looking for the perfect avocado at the grocery store and then I get home and I'm like, that was a waste of 30 minutes. I literally touched every avocado. I found the perfect one, took it home and it was brown inside. You ever know that? And by the way, if you're buying an avocado at a local grocery store, you're welcome. I probably touched them all. (laughs) So think of me, think of me when you're making eggs and spreading avocado on your breakfast toast. Um, You ever find yourself wasting energy on something like arguing with a kid about eating that last green bean on your plate? Have you ever done that? Like, it's such a waste of energy. Even if it goes down and they eat it eventually, it's just a waste of energy. Everybody knows you should just grind it up and hide it in some stuff, right? And then you just sneak the vegetables into your friends. But I think the big, into your kids, but I think the biggest waste of energy is right when we try to just justify ourselves because we are more concerned with being right than living right. You ever find that to be true in your life? You are convinced that you are right and you just want to put all the chips into the middle of the table in an argument or a discussion with somebody to prove that you're right. The problem is nobody's always right. Nobody's perfect. And when we realize that we're not perfect and we're not right, what we do is we try to justify ourselves. We, we try to make it seem like we, we have good reason. We, we should be right. If we're not right, we should be. We have good reason. This is okay for me to do for this and this and this and this and this reason. This is okay for me to think about because of this and this and this. We justify ourselves so that we feel right even when we're wrong. It's a complete waste of energy. You know what's way easier? Here's a way easier plan to life. Instead of trying to prop ourselves up and pretend we're always right, pretend we're always perfect, pretend we never make mistakes, a way easier way to live in life is to just be honest about who we are and what we struggle with. A way easier... (laughs) way to live is to take those struggles from our honest hearts and to lay them before Jesus, to let him pour his grace on them, and then to just live right. We spend so much energy trying to justify ourselves that there's a way easier way to live, a way God calls us to live, living right. We waste so much energy when we could just be living right, and in this passage, I this, this passage is a tough one because I don't always act justly. I don't always do what's right. Is that a shocker to you? Is that a shocker to you? Is that, you could ask some soccer officials around the county if they think that's <laughs> true or not. Uh, and, you, and you don't either. I know you're super concerned with being right. <laughs> we all want to be right. 
And we all want to take those things that we love but aren't good for us and somehow justify them so that we feel better about our lives. But it's wasted energy. It's just so much better to live right. And here's the question I got for you to just start this off. When it comes to following God's direction to your life, when it comes to letting him at the actions you take, how you talk, what you do, here's the big question. Is God good? We just sang it. (laughs) I heard some of you singing. Like I know some of you are like just mouthing it because you you're afraid like your voice isn't good enough for the person next to you. We don't care how you sound. Just sing it out with all your heart. That's what God loves, right? Like, I know some of you were just soaking in the words, not really singing. Maybe it's a new song for you. We sang two songs, though, like God, about God being good. We like doubled down on it in those songs. We were repeating it over and over again. God is good. Do you believe it, though? Because if you believe that God is good, then what he says about how we should live is good for you like a green bean left on the plate. (laughs) It may not always be hot and tasty, but it's good for you. Is God good? I feel like that's a big hang up. When I'm trying to decide if my way is better than God's way, I skip right past that question to just do what I wanna do and I don't pause to think to myself, is this what God would have me do? And then I don't trust that if this is what God would have me do, By default, however good my plans, however cool I think it's gonna be, whatever feel I catch from it, God's way is better. And what we're talking about here is taking God and actually allowing God, who is good, to be a guide. After all, everything we do has consequences. In Galatians chapter Six, I'll flip there. You can write this down or look at it yourself. Galatians chapter six and verse seven, I just wanna talk to you. I call this a law of consequence. It's a scriptural thing. I don't know if you ever heard you reap what you sow, but this is where it comes from. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Thank God for that too. How would we ever know how far off the path we were if we didn't reap some of the garbage we planted. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. God is good, and he is a good guide, and what you plant in your life you will reap. Uh, Some of you are surprised when you reap confrontation in your homes. You're surprised even though you've been planting it for years. We get surprised when we reap, when we reap these kind of things, when we, when we sow bitterness into a relationship and we reap more bitterness. It's, isn't it interesting that often the face in the one we love and live with is a reflection of our face. We sow things and then we reap them. 
I'll come and say, like, why, why is that person so angry? But maybe it's because I've been sowing some anger into that relationship. We reap what we sow, both in good ways and bad ways. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to reap discord. I don't want to reap chaos. I don't want to reap dysfunction. I don't want to reap broken relationships. I don't want to reap emptiness. I don't want to reap being alone. I don't want to reap selfishness. I want to reap peace. I want to reap joy. I want to reap more happiness. You reap what you sow. And God is a good guide, though. And he's constantly guiding us to plant good seeds in our life by how we live. In fact, this whole book, the reason we stand up here and preach this and give Bibles away and tell you to not steal them from your neighbors, but steal them from us, and the reason we tell you to mark it up, right, is because this book is it's a guide for how we should live. It doesn't just teach us the most essential and important truths truths about who God is and about who we are to God. It also actually gives us the practical steps to live the way God has designed us to live, the way life has been designed to live. And when you start taking your faith out of Sunday morning and applying it to how you act at work and how you act when no one's like, looking or listening, if you start applying it to what you do when you're stuck in traffic, when you start applying it to how you parent your kids, how you grandparent your grandkids, when you start applying it to your marriage, when you start applying it to your friendships, man, you reap so much good that God has for you in those spaces. Maybe the happiness you've been searching for that seems to be missing isn't because of your circumstances. It's not because of what somebody has done or said about you. It's because you've been sowing some junk into your life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training for righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is good. Let him be your guide. And this is the handbook to follow. There's like seven things that as I've been thinking about and praying about this message and trying to figure out, like, okay, so what does God, the Bible actually say about what we do? I thought this would be pretty important for us to kind of dig in, and so I have seven things for you here in 11 minutes and counting, so you're gonna have to pull your pen out, and I'm gonna have to go super fast so that you all don't get hangry and throw stuff at me. Number one, you aren't what you've done starting with this because we're going to talk about what you do in a second. And this is so, so important. You aren't what you've done. First John 1, 9 and 10, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You aren't what you've done. And if you've walked into this place and you've been carrying some guilt, some shame, if you've been made some mistakes, if, if there's some sin that has been nagging at your heart and your head and you're just beat down and worn out and it's affecting your identity and you feel like, man, I'm a loser and God would never love me and God, God would never accept me and 
all of this stuff. You, you have to know that when you confess your sin to God, he makes you new. Ephesians 1 says that we are holy and blameless before him. This is your new identity. This is your character. You see, in this, what, what we do really matters. I'm going to get to that in point number two. But you also have to know that what you have done in your past, your mistakes, your sins, your failures, they don't define you. You aren't what you've done. You're way more than that. And if you just confess your sin to him, if you would let what's in the darkness see the light, he would take your sins and he would separate them as far as the evil East is from the West. He would give you a new heart and he would start to heal the brokenness that you have been dragging around for so long. Point number one, don't ever forget it. You aren't what you've done. But point number two is important to realize too. What you do affects you and the people around you more than you think. Deuteronomy chapter 30, God's laying it out to the nation of Israel, and he's saying, like, listen, you have a choice. The choice is in front of you. This isn't too hard. You don't have to get on a ship and sail across a sea to figure it out. You don't got to build a spaceship and fly it into the skies. It doesn't actually say that. That's a paraphrase, right, to, to, to receive it and bring the truth back down to you. It's right here in front of you. It even says it's written on your heart. Choose me and choose life. Everything else, if you turn your back on God, all the other paths lead to destruction. What you do, it doesn't define you, but it really matters. All the choices we make, both good and bad, they have consequences, and the consequences spill out and affect the people around us way often, way more, way more than we're willing to admit, way more than we want to acknowledge. What you do really matters. So here's some tips, point number three. Some tips that I've been trying to work on in my life. Maybe they'll work, you can work on them in your life from scripture about how to live, right? First, build some consistency. Build some consistency. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You hear that? My guess is there's some people here who struggle with self-control. I can say that. I know what it's like. <laughs> right? You ever have one of those moments where you can get it so right and then so wrong because you lack consistency? You'll have a great conversation with your kids. Maybe you'll even like wade into some spirit spiritual topics all of a sudden you're just like having this really open conversation with your kids and then five minutes later you're losing your cool with your spouse it's a lack of consistency it's it's a it's a life lived in reaction instead of response it's it's a lack of self-discipline like god calls us to build consistency into our lives and when we don't have it, when we lack self-discipline, what we are like is we are like a, a city that is about to be taken over. Maybe your relationships are vulnerable because you lack consistency. One week you get it right and you serve your spouse the way Christ calls us to and loves the church. And you, maybe you lay your heart out there and you love and you lift them up and you sacrifice for them the way Christ calls us to love our spouses. But then in the next day you just... Tear it all down because of your selfish heart, right? It's a lack of consistency. 
If you find a vulnerability in a relationship or at your workplace or in your own heart or in your own life, maybe it's due to a lack of consistency. I don't want to be a wall, a city without walls because there's plenty of attacks coming. I want to be fortified and live strongly and build strong relationships and protect the people I love and protect my own heart. Build consistency. Number four, you're writing these down, you with me? Build character. Hmm. Proverbs 10, 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. How about that for terrifying this morning? You terrified? That's terrifying. Like that's a promise like, oh man, lock it down, Josh. Character is really important. You can have fame and skill. Hey, young people, like you got, you know people that are really good at stuff? Like you wanna be famous, you wanna have skill, have a platform someday, like make a difference in the world? What matters more than your skill or your ability to win people over or convince them of how great you are, what matters more than what other people say about you in public is how you live in private. Character. You can accomplish some great things without it, but they will all be tore down. Character matters. How you live when nobody's looking, how truthful you are when it, when it feels like it doesn't even matter, how, what you do at home, your character, it matters. Proverbs 28, six also says, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. I don't know which one you'd pick. Famous or poor. <laughs> Build character. Number five, we're cruising here. I hope you're hanging in there with me. Build relationships. Hebrews 3.13 says this. Tons of scripture for you. I hope, hope you like that. I hope you're writing these down. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's something really special about, about being in relationship with people who are on the same journey with God as you are. You will not get very far if you try to walk this walk of faith out by yourself. What'll happen is at some point you'll make some mistakes, you'll get cut down, and there will be no one to encourage you, to lift you up. There will be no one to remind you of God's love for you and who you truly are in him. There will be no one to help you sort through the pain and the chaos of life. No one to be there for you to, to really listen that gets this whole Jesus thing and understands his grace and his forgiveness and his love. This is a really hard walk by yourself. We are created for and need relationships. But we don't just need relationships with people who tell us everything's good. We don't need relationships with people who are afraid to talk about our blind spots. We don't just need relationships with people who are always like, great sermon, dude, and sweet sweatshirt. <laughs> we don't need that. What we need are, are relationships with people who love us enough to share love and truth with us. I need people close to me that see all of it. They know how selfish I can be. They know how 
narrow-minded. They know like my weak spots. They know how I get tripped up. They know the mistakes I make. They know my past. They know my history. They know everything about me. I need people that are around me so that I can say, hey man, I'm really struggling. I'm having a tough time. I I need you to pray for me. I need people to sit with me who aren't afraid to say, hey Josh, man, that was pretty dumb. (laughs) Maybe you should go say you're sorry. I love you. I'll be there for you before, in the middle, and after. But that's something you got to make right. I need people who, when I fall and I'm face to face with the consequences of what I have sown into relationships, I need people to say, God loves you, man. Get back up. It's okay. Here. I'm going to hold you. We're going to walk together. I'll lift your arms up for you. I'll be there when it all falls apart. I'll be there for the big wins. We, We don't just need friends. You see, God gave us this beautiful thing called the church, which is the body of believers. It's not a building. It's people in, in, in faith with us, trying to walk with us towards God. That's why we say, come as you are, but don't stay that way. It's because we all have areas of our life we need work on, and the best way to work on life is with people who also love Jesus, who are also aware of their own brokenness, who have also experienced grace and forgiveness, and who know how to encourage us and speak love to us and also speak truth to us. Do you have relationships like that? And are you willing to trust them enough to let them see your real heart? It's scary, but you need it. My guess is we don't have a lot of people like that. But you're sitting in a room full of them. So there's no excuse. Wow, that clock keeps ticking. And you keep getting hungrier. Here's the last thing. Follow God, not your heart. (laughs) Follow God, not your heart. Man, if I followed my heart, I'd be eating ice cream every day for lunch. (laughs) That wouldn't be good. (laughs) I already eat too much ice cream. If I followed my heart, man, you you could see the uh, train wreck of relationships in my past. It would have destroyed the dad I'm trying to be now and the husband I'm trying to be now, if I just did whatever my heart said to do, like, oh, your heart's always right. No, Scripture says your heart is deceitful. It's often lying to you. It lies to you about who you are. It lies to you about who other people are. It lies to you about who God is. It lies to you about what's right and what's wrong, what's best and what's not best. It's lying to us all the time. The heart is complex. It's not all of you. Don't follow your heart, follow God. If you want him to be guide of your life because you believe he is good and his way is good for you, we have to set our heart and our desire, desires on the shelf a little bit and start saying not what do my friends on Facebook think I should do, not what looks good on Instagram, not what's gonna feel great for a weekend, We gotta start asking, is this what God would have me do? Is this how God would have me say it? Is this how God would have me parent? I'm not just gonna react to the circumstances that pop up into my house. I'm gonna pause long enough to say, God, man, I don't know what to do. And I need you as guide. 
and I'm willing to set aside my heart for a second. I know you promised that you will give me the desires of my heart. I'm going to set that second. And I'm going to say, how would you have me live right now in this moment? It doesn't feel great, but I believe that you are good and what you say is good for me. Follow God, not your heart. And last, this is intentional here. Begin, continue, and end with grace. It's the most beautiful part of the equation. And God's grace should engulf you. God's grace is his unmerited favor and pardon towards you. It's that God loves you so completely and so perfectly because he is perfect that there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. Some of y'all think he did some stuff that made God love you less. It's not true. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Some of you showed up in church today because you feel like it'll make God love you more. It's not gonna work because he loves you perfectly. His love for you is unconditional. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. We all know there's people we love but we don't like. And it's not just his unmerited favor towards you, it's also his unmerited pardon. We didn't do anything to deserve it, but there on that tree, Christ died and bore our sins and our sufferings there in his flesh and shed his blood so that we could be made free from what we do and have done. So that we could have a righted relationship with God and peace that comes with it. So we could live in his forgiveness and his love every day and one day enter into a perfect world with him in eternity. Begin, continue, and end in his grace. Fall on it when you need it. Paul says in Galatians 2, 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. Don't set it aside. For if righteousness could be given, gained through the law, it means if, if I could get a right relationship with God by playing church and doing religious things, then Christ died for nothing. Paul is saying like what we need and what we have available to us all the time is the grace of God. It's there to help us live right. It's there to pick us up when we live wrong. It's there to remind us of who he is. It's there to remind us of who we are. It's there to remind us of our dependence on him and it's there to shout loud in our ears in the midst of our greatest success and our biggest failures. God loves you the same and he is here for you and he offers you this forgiveness afresh anew. Just drown yourself in it. The grace of God is so good and I know maybe you've been carrying some guilt and some shame around. It's time to throw that at the foot of the cross and receive the grace he has for you. If you made some mistakes on the way to church this morning, you were yelling at some people before you put on that fake smile and walked through the doors and grabbed a hot cup of so-so coffee, you need some grace in your life. Just Throw yourself at the cross and receive the grace he has for you. And like the woman who was caught in adultery, who was brought before Jesus, her sins on full display for everyone to see, the chaos of life defining her story, he shows her grace and love and says, 
If no, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Begin, continue, and end in his grace. We're so, we so need it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace which you lavish on us, your love which is unfailing, your faithfulness that does not depend on how faithful we are to you, but would you also help us live a little better? I don't know which one hit, right, but like, there's some people here maybe that shouldn't ignore the idea of building character. Let it slip. Haven't been paying attention to it. And destruction just waits around the corner. Maybe there's some people here, right, like we need to work on consistency. We're so good sometimes and we're so bad others. We just need to let you at our hearts and help build some discipline in our lives so that we become more consistent in following you and loving you and loving others. Maybe we've been trying hard at those things, but we've been ignoring the, the, the truth that we need others who are on this journey with us who know us and who can speak truth and love to us. Ultimately, we are so thankful that we are not what we've done. That when we confess our sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We're so thankful that grace isn't just a one-time drive-by experience, but it is something that is available and fresh to us every day. Your mercies are new every morning. We need it. Help us to experience grace and use that grace to draw us closer to you. We admit, God, you are a good God. And what you say is so good for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.